welcome to Life Lessons in 35mm, a podcast that delves into the life lessons from the silver screen. School might have taught us about history, sciences and maths, but John McLean taught us about how to be cool. Neo taught us the value of free will and the responsibility in making our own choices. Back to the Future taught us our future hasn't been written yet. Our future is whatever we make it. And Pretty Woman taught us that you should never judge a book by its cover. We'll talk about all sorts. Love, family, heroes. Storytelling, friendship, dogs. <laughs> Wait, dogs? Yeah, yeah. There's an episode about dogs. I figured that people sometimes might want something a little more light-hearted. And besides, who doesn't love dogs, right? No, that's fair. So, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for joining us. So, welcome, welcome to another episode of Life Lessons in 35mm. Hope everyone's well, and I'm here with Andrew, as always. Andrew, how are you doing? Very, very good. Um, how are you, Nick? How's um weather over in the UK? Is it nice and sunny? Classic British. Start with the weather conversation. Um, just typical British summer. A bit grey, a bit, a bit warm. Yeah, it, really. Well, I'll tell you what. Winter is in full force over here in New Zealand. We're getting um some fresh snow dumps um this week. Um, so I've been up at the mountain snowboarding. It's been great. You should come over here. I mean, it's it's, it's better than. The UK. I'll just I'll just jump in the car. Be there. Be there in a bit. Just easy okay. as that. Easy as that. I'll talk. I'll talk to this Jacinda and see if she'll let you in. Do that. Do that. No. To be fair, I think I was uh, when you mentioned uh, like it being winter and stuff. Obviously, I've seen on on uh, on your socials that you would basically live across from mountains and lakes. I'm always a bit jealous of that. I was thinking, yeah, you must must get some snow. It must be pretty cool. Yeah. No. It's it's crazy. Like um, everyone lives for it. So, um, yeah, like obviously dumped uh, a lot of snow on the mountain and everyone's like, you know, getting off work early um, or not like p- pulling a sickie so they can go snowboarding. <laughs> as, you, as you do, as you do. Just, um, anyway. just um, in oh, case anyone's oh. listening, I didn't do that. I, obviously, I, you never take oh, it yeah, off. I, no, no, no. I worked a full eight hours. Obviously, of course. Um, so, yeah, I, well, before we get into our discussion this week, I suppose it's worth saying um, we've now put out our first episode. It went live. We've had way more listens than we thought we'd get, uh, didn't we? So I was I was like really surprised by how many people have listened to it. Were you? Yeah, yeah. Un- unless your mum and my mum have been watching it over and and listened to it over and over again. Um, no, I mean we we yeah we've had over a hundred listens, and um, that's that's great. It's I mean it it means a lot because. Um, you know, people's lives are busy, <laughs> so the fact that they took took um you know an hour out of their lives just to listen to us um, harp on about her, the film her, which is an amazing film, and actually the, the podcast was really good. So um, I feel like they've been rewarded, Nick. <laughs> they have, but and also yeah, I know they've already been rewarded, but just a massive thank you to everyone that's listened. It really, it uh, re- we really appreciate it, and special thanks to those who've reviewed and rated the podcast maybe even subscribed so yeah thank you so much to everyone who's listened to it we really appreciate it and we're like genuinely really surprised at how many people have actually taken the time out to listen to it so awesome thank you um so right well, should we go on with it so this is our fourth episode this was another one of your choices of films so why don't you introduce us to your choice and what we're going to learn from it 
So today we're going to be talking about Call Me By Your Name, the 2017 Oscar um, winner. Well, it, it won a, an, an Oscar um, for Best Adapted um, Screenplay. Um, it was directed by Luca Guadalino. I mean, I can't say that, Nick. Can you say it? Do you know? Uh, not off the top of my head. I haven't got it. I haven't got it written in front of me. <laughs> exactly. I could have a, have a good, I, I could have a go if it was written down. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so apologies, um, apologies to him for the pronunciation. <laughs> if he's us, um, <laughs> of course he is. Of course he is. Um, Runtime two hours and twelve minutes. And um, did you feel like it, it dragged on at all? Did you think it was um, a long film, Nick? Do you know what? I I kind of. I, it did feel a little bit long. That's one of the things which, one of the things I when I was watching it at times it felt it felt quite a long film, but not you know not not to the point where I was bored. I was never bored at any point, but I, I think there was moments where I was just conscious that I felt like I felt like it was potentially a bit long. It felt a bit longer than it is. Um, okay, like well, I said, I wasn't bored. So, little little fact: um, the first cut came out to be four hours and fifteen minutes. So. Um, Luckily, he got the um, editor to be a little bit more ruthless. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're getting into Lord of the Rings territory there, aren't, aren't we? Which is just a bit ridiculous. Well, you could have um, break, broken it down into two two films or, or three films even. You could. Like, uh, no, don't get me wrong. I'd have watched it if it was four hours long still. But yeah, I mean, if you can start, if you can tell a story in two hours. Why don't do you? It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so starring Army Hammer of the social network and... Um, Timothy Chalamet of um, Homeland. He was in Homeland. He was yeah in Interstellar. I think he's in the new Dune as well. Oh, I'm I'm keen to see the new Dune. I I really hope they do it justice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Anyway, he, yeah, so he's he's in that, but up def, big up and big big sort of rising star. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm, I'm keen to see all of his um, his work, and he's so young as well. He's so talented. Um, like. Obviously, in this film, he's speaking three languages, playing piano like a boss. Like he's he's a, a really talented, talented young man. Yeah, I, I remember re- I read actually about him the other day after I watched it. He he calls himself. Uh, I think he refers to himself as more or less like fluent in French, more or less. And then he just learned Italian for the film, as you do. Did he? I think. Uh, I think H- he said H- he learned. He learned like like conversational Italian for the film, which is still more oh, Italian yeah. than I've ever, I've ever learned. So. Yeah. Um, Grazie to all of our Italian listeners. There's none. Um, <laughs> so so um, this film, it's um, set in the summer of 1983. Um, and a precocious 17-year-old Elio Perlman is spending the days with his family in their 17th century villa in Lombardy, Italy. He soon meets Oliver a handsome doc- doctoral student who's working as an intern for Elio's father. Amid the sun-drenched splendour of their surroundings, Elio and Oliver discover a heady beauty of awakening desire over the course of a summer that will alter their lives forever. Wish I could say I wrote that. I didn't. Um, <laughs> just just gives you, yeah, it just gives you an overview of the film and... Um, uh, so, so I guess um, before we start talking about the lesson, I've got to say I absolutely adore this film. It's it like every single time I, I watch it, I love it more. It's like um, 
you know, an opening of a flower, like showing new petals and, and beauty and um, within it's, it's it like, it's so good to me. Like, um, it just, um, takes me back to like back at, back in the nineties, um, with my Walkman, just like playing like songs on repeat in the, in like the hot English summer. It sometimes gets hot in, in England and um yeah just in the back garden you, you know you just like lie out in the back garden you'd just be like reading and like listening to music i i, I don't know i i did that something as a kid um it just reminds me of um as well my, my times li- living in mexico you, you'd be out in the the warm summer heat um eating food with your, your friends and your family and um even when I, I went hiking up in north northern Italy, we we'd be like sitting down and having like these kind of like semi um intellectual kind of conversations about like philosophy and art and traveling and stuff. Um so it really brings these these memories um into focus for me, the these um nostalgic memories and the the irony is it is like it's all about that, this film. It's all about nostalgia, it's all about memories. And um, in particular, Elio's recalling of events. Um, just just a heads up, as we always try to give the heads up, there will be spoilers in this. Um, so if you haven't seen the film, go out and see it. You know, it's two hours of your life. It could change your life, Nick. It could. It could. Um, well, I'd like to say a uh, great humble brag about who you're traveling there. When I lived in Mexico, uh, you know, just get that in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. No, I know. So, so how many times have you actually watched this then? Because you said every time you've watched it, you took, take more out of it. How many times have you seen it now? It'd be really funny if I said two times. Yeah. <laughs> just, just two times. Just a couple of times. Um, no, I've I've watched it maybe um, six or seven times. Um, wow. And I, I watched it for the first time maybe six months ago, which which is a. <laughs> You know, it's been out since um, 2017 and I'd seen it around. It's it's one of these films that you see pop up and you see like that um, that, that still of um, Elio and Oliver and um, with the heads together with the blue sky. Yeah, yeah. And friends of mine said, hey, watch this film. Watch this film. It's amazing. It'll change your life. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those like I'll get around to it. And when I watched it, I'll be honest like when I watched it I was just in a really good space for it and it really made me excited about cinema again and yeah, see because uh, I've I've any so obviously we talked about the idea of discussing this film and I hadn't seen it before so again I remember it coming out I remember it was really well received by by critics by audiences it seemed to be a real big hit and obviously there was a lot of talk about the actors in it you know nominated for lots of awards and stuff like that but it's just something that has always that i've never got around to watching i've always wanted to because i've only ever heard good things so i was i was really looking forward to to watching it for this so i i obviously watched it for the first time the other day in preparation for this um and i really liked it i did i really enjoyed it it was it, it was a really good experience watching the film but maybe i need to watch it more because i haven't quite connected with it in the same way that you did so obviously when we talked about her that's a film that both of us it really speaks to us and it really kind of affects us and i feel like you feel the same about this film is that fair to say mm, it is yes yeah. yeah see I, i'm not quite there with it yet so i think for me i really enjoyed it i thought it was really well made brilliant performances which we'll get to which we'll talk about but i just didn't quite 
love it the same way that you love it. But I will have, I did, like I said, I probably will go back to it a couple more times to rewatch it. Maybe not right away, but I will do at some point. And maybe it will just speak to me a bit more then. But I, I know what you mean about all like, the, the memories it brings back and stuff, because I definitely got that when I was watching it. It definitely brought back the idea of nostalgia and being younger, whether it be on holiday or at home in the summers and when you've kind of got those lazy days and stuff. But yeah, I've, I'm not quite there in the same place you are with it but i do think it's a great film i think everyone should watch it because you're right it could have a profound impact on some people because it's a really really good story well what i suggest is give it a few months then maybe listen to this um episode of the podcast it might just inspire you to watch maybe, it again <laughs> maybe it will maybe it will <laughs> no i feel like um you know how some albums or or some songs are difficult maybe to get into that they, they might have a, a complex riff or or offbeat timing um and you, you don't quite get it the first time but you you can feel there's something special there that's probably how i felt about the first time i i recognized that the director was doing something very special here and through watching it again and i think with um knowing the ending and knowing that Elio is kind of recalling his memories. It, it just puts a different view view of the film. Um, so so I'm I'm keen keen for you to watch it again and again every single year and um, tell me. And, and when you're when you're at the same place as, as me, I'll be happy and we can be friends again. <laughs> Fair um, I have to say actually, uh, <laughs> one thing I, that was very kind of apparent to me when I first watched it is when I was kind of going through the film. Um, I was enjoying it and I was kind of into it and stuff but I have to say and we'll come on to talk about this later but the last probably 15 minutes or so that really took it to another level mm. uh, and I have to say as well you mentioned Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet huge huge shout out to Michael Stolberg who he plays his father who is absolutely amazing in this that mm. scene at the end with him that really took the whole thing to another level I think so maybe knowing where it ends up and knowing where it's going, maybe I would enjoy everything that came before it even more than I did the first time round. But yeah, I have to say the way it finishes, the way it's all pulled together at the end is so, so good. So, so good. Yeah, I mean, I must say it's probably one of the best endings um, to a to a film I think I've seen. <clears throat> um, so shout out to the scriptwriter and, and the writer of the book. Um, shout shout out to him as well because it's a very very successful book so um, I probably need to read that Um, so the director described the look of the film as as if you were recollecting your own memories and um, I think it'd be a good um, opportunity to to start there and we could talk talk about maybe the um, how the the film was shot so this film was the the DP the director of photography was Sayam Boo! Oh my god! You're just smashing um, it with Muk- the pronunciation, say, aren't we? <laughs> Mukdeeprom. I can say his second name. <laughs> um, yeah, um, who, who was chosen specifically for this film? And the his his stylistic, uh, well, I guess his style, um, which is is very um, nostalgic. And um, he he decided to do something a little bit special. He he shot all the film on a 35 mil lens now if you you know anything about photography this is the same focal length as as a human eye which i think is, is significant here we, we've mentioned that there's going to be spoilers so we'll, we'll go to the end of the film 
just so I can kind of explain this. So the end of the film sees Elio. He's just spoken to Oliver on the phone and he's sitting by the um, fireplace and you can see and you can feel that he's reliving the memories of the summer in his head. It's a really long cut. The, the, the camera doesn't cut away. It's on him for maybe like six, seven minutes as the, um, the theme tune plays, plays over. And the look of the film is, is quite different to what, what the rest of the film was. So if, if you recollect, the majority of the film is obviously set in summer and we're getting the, the look of yellows and greens and, and pastels, very like sepiary and um, as if like a memory. But in this scene, it's very different. The background is very blue, which which is um, is obviously symbolic of um, winter, which is the time where it where it's shot. But the warmth and the um, the yellow and orange from the fire is is kind of dappling onto his his face, almost like the memories being replayed through his mind. It's just this really nice contrast. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, I did. I think um, I remember, you know, you, you, there's there's a very definite kind of orange yellow glow on his skin, isn't there? With the, in, you know, in contrast to that, that really harsh kind of cold background that's very sort of out of focus. And he's kind of, you can almost tell that he's, he's almost completely in isolation in that moment. Um, and, you know, what a amazing bit of his performance that is, that final shot. Just the what he he's completely silent doesn't say a word and you know staring almost straight down to down at the audience and we're just watching him go through these emotions and it's incredible it's incredible but yeah i i think um what you said about the the way the film looks as well that kind of like sepia tone to it it's got everything's a little bit faded also reminded me of you know like you, you mentioned about when you were a kid you know being in the garden and stuff like that also i it really reminded me of from when I was a kid and you look back at like old photos from holidays and how 100%. you know when we used to like print them out and stuff and they have that kind of like faded yellowy sepia kind of feel to them uh, and especially now if you look back on them now that those photos are 20 30 years old or whatever and it really looks like that kind of style and I also think when we spoke the other day I said it felt like it some of it like almost like postcards um, yes 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 that they have that kind of like faded almost almost as if it's been drawn by hand at times, quality to it. And I, th- I think it does a really, it's a really good visual, like um, visual sort of representation of memory. I think it works perfectly in that sense. It's Yeah, it's interesting that you said that um, because recently a friend of ours, Alison, she's been going around with this disposable camera of hers. And we've obviously, our summer has just gone. And all, all throughout summer, she's been like, you know smashing um the disposable camera she'll just get it out and she'll like just do it w- without you kind of realizing she got the the prints printed and we, we were all like looking around them and it's that same look it does look nostalgic and you, you're right like the greens are greener the the kind of the the blues are almost like pastely blue it's it's um it's very very similar to the film um and it was really cool seeing modern day 
in a nostalgic light it was it was quite strange because obviously it was just the summer gone but yeah I, um, I also think um i also think what you said about the um as well as the look of the film in terms of like, the color palette and stuff about the lens and the fact that it's you know it's the same focal length as the human eye what i also thought was really good and this again reminded me of photos you know like you said you had those photos developed and they and they were just capturing moments and obviously i think that's the best photography is all the stuff that's not that's very natural never posed and what i liked about the way the film was shot as well is that you had this consistent lens type but you also had the cameras very still a lot of the time it wasn't kind of you know how um with a with lo- lots of films and obviously you know this is a largely it's a film about it's a film about people sitting around <laughs> And, and talking and stuff but actually you know so a lot of films when there's more happening the camera moves around it cuts from you know uh you know uh like a little one two shot between two people having a conversation or it might move around or track or pan or something but for a lot of this it the camera's still and it's just looking on the scene and the people are moving within within the frame and i think again that's almost closer to what you would see if you were looking with your own eye because you you know when you when you when you sit and look at something you don't like circle around it and move up and down and stuff your gaze is quite still and i think the way that it was shot as well in terms of the the lens and the color palette but also the fact it was a very still it didn't feel very invasive it almost felt like yeah you were looking back on a memory or something so i think the way it's shot is really is really good and i think it works so well to portray that idea of memory and nostalgia and stuff yeah, and, and memory is really important. I guess we, we should talk a little bit about what this episode is all about. Yeah, we so, probably should. We haven't even mentioned that yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just getting too excited, getting, just talking about the film. <laughs> so today's episode is about how Call Me By Your Name reminds us to really embrace like the good and the bad and the ugly of, of a romance or, or a relationship. Not only is memory played out in terms of the cinematography, but also with the soundtrack, which is is fucking awesome. Uh, so, so the the, the main track um, is done by Sufan Stevens. It's called Mystery of Love, and it was written specifically for the film, wasn't it? Is that is that right? Um, you... Yes. Yeah, so, so he he wrote two two songs specifically for the film, and one was a, a re-release of another song that he'd released previously the the song mystery of love was um nominated for the academy award for best original song just a little note on the um soundtrack it's you'd think because it's said in 1983 it would be like fused with a lot of like synth pop and he'd be really like um squeezing the kind of nostalgic sponge there but i think he's quite selective in terms of the music he does use so it's a mixture of um, synth pop, yes, but um, a little bit of um, piano instrumental. And obviously, um, Sufan's songs kind of bring this this feeling of um, reminiscing. I don't know how to, to explain his music. Sorry, you, you, you're going to talk about specifically the Mystery of Love and what you thought that, about that day. Yeah, because I, I, I agree. The soundtrack is really good. And I think... Um, and, what you said um, about it obviously being set in the summer of 83, there is a danger there that if you put too much kind of music in from the 80s, it might date the film slightly. And I think the point of this is that you can watch it any time and it just, it does feel like a memory because, um, so for example, um, someone who uses um, like current pop songs in his films is, is Michael Mann. 
and I think it works really effectively. But I think some of his films, it very, it kind of very much dates them. Like I remember watching his uh, his film Manhunter, which was made in the eighties, and and the music in that is all like that kind of synth pop eighties type stuff. So I think that there's an important thing here about the fact that he hasn't loaded the film with all that stuff. Obviously, there's the one song which Oliver dances to in their first night out, and then he again later on he dances to it outside the church. Yeah, Love My Way by the Psychedelic Furs. Well, there you go. So, obviously, that's very much an 80s eighties sounding song, and it obviously was out in the 80s. But with Sufjan Stevens' song, what I found... Um, now, this may be because of the sort of music I listen to. So, I I listen to a huge range of music, but one of my favourite sort of genres, I suppose, is that kind of like almost folky, acoustic, pop-type, you know, summary-type music. And when I was watching the film... Um, now obviously we just said he wrote a couple of songs specifically for the film Mystery of Love was the one he wrote for the film so obviously I've never heard that before because I've never seen the film but when I was watching it when that song played it felt really familiar to me now like I said I don't know if it's because I like that type of music or or that's one of the types of music I, 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 I like a lot and I listen to quite regularly but there was something about that song it just sounded familiar which again fed into that whole idea that this this film feels like a memory and it feels like something you've you're looking back on or you're reliving and I don't know just there was something about that song that really for some reason sounded so familiar and so um like almost comforting to me in a way but I had I clearly hadn't heard it before and I, and I think you know like you said maybe it's because it sounds a bit like other types of songs or maybe I have heard it somewhere but didn't realize I had but there was something so like so familiar about that song and I think that works really well again to feed into this whole idea of nostalgia and memory and you know looking back and reliving kind of happier times and stuff so yeah I think the music works incredibly well um for for the story and the sort of the message you're getting from it yeah I think it's really interesting that the I think specifically the um instrumental um, piano music that they use like that it's played a lot, a lot of the time in the romantic scenes between Oliver and Elio, and it all, almost feels like the the scenes are like too romantic, like too um, idealized. Um, it, oh, you know, and again, like it's it's almost like you're seeing like the memories of um, Elio. Like you know, when you think about memories, you you tend to like cherry pick. Um, the great moments and you don't tend to think about like some of the more horrible moments and so throughout this film you just get the sense that you're you're seeing elio's like um idolized version of events which which is beautiful no doubt it's beautiful the 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 next thing i wanted to talk to you about was um this this moment it's, it's a very very key sequence where Elio is with his two two parents and that they're kind of lying down together and I, I think his his mum is asked to read a novel. A handsome young knight is madly in love with a princess and she too is in love with him. Though she seems not to be entirely aware of it. Despite the friendship, Freundschaft, that blossoms between them or perhaps because of that very friendship the young knight finds himself so so humbled and speechless that he's totally unable to bring up the subject of his love 
So one day he asked the princess, point blank, ich bitte euch, ratet mir, was besser ist. Reden oder sterben? Is it better to speak or to die? I'll never have the courage to ask a question like that. I doubt that. Elio kind of really connects with this and he says, like, oh, I don't know if I would be able to say that because it's all about this knight that that would rather die than confess his feelings, right? And obviously, like, Elio's going through the same thing himself with Oliver. And if you think about, I guess, the, the time, 1983, and um, the subject matter in terms of him confessing his feelings, if he gets this wrong, it's going to be really, really awkward, potentially dangerous for him. You know, he doesn't know that Oliver has the same feelings for him. He doesn't know that he he likes men as well. So it's it's a really interesting scene and, and it kind of underpins this tension that plays throughout most of the movie before Elio eventually kind of gets the courage to go to Oliver and um, confess his feelings. Yeah, I, th- I think that scene is... Um... Because obviously, just uh, you know, after after that scene when they, when he's lying down with his parents and his mo- his mother's reading the book and stuff, there's obviously the scene afterwards where Elio is recalling that to Oliver, and they're having this sort of conversation about um, the night that is his choice to speak or to die, and Oliver says, sort of, so does he does he speak then? And Elio says, no, he doesn't. Um, and obviously, then later on, there's there's something where uh, I think they're having a conversation where Oliver says. Um, you seem to know everything. And he says, uh, I think he said, Elio says something like, well, if you only knew how little I know about the things that really matter. And there's this conversation about them. And then, and then there's some, there's a couple of things that Elio says. And Oliver says, you know, why, why are you telling me this? And he says, because I, because I think you should know. And it's almost like he's gone through that progression where he's now at the point where he's trying to speak and he wants to speak, but he doesn't quite say the words. He do, yeah, it doesn't quite say the words outright. But the meaning is there because then at the end of the conversation, Oliver says, are you saying what I think you're saying? And Elio just sort of nods. So there's this, yeah, there's this very clear, like, sort of like um, parallel with that story. But gradually Elio is getting closer to be able to speak, um, which I think is which is, is really nice. And obviously that whole um, should the night speak or die, that's the whole um, crux of the film, isn't it, really? This the whole thing is about can, can are the two of them going to get to the point where they where they both speak and they tell each other how they feel so i think yeah that's a really important scene i think it and i think it it leads so nicely onto all the things that happen after that yeah and and obviously he does eventually say that they do share a kiss and then oliver kind of pulls away from him and there's these really kind of awkward moments with elio where he's kind of pining around the house waiting for um oliver to return Oliver kind of ignoring him and you really feel for him like I guess we've all been in that moment right where we've maybe confessed our feelings for someone and we're kind of waiting for those feelings to be reciprocated yeah and there's with along with the waiting for those feelings to be reciprocated there's also the fear that they won't be isn't there I think again Mm. that's something we can all relate to I'm sure everyone has been through the well, especially when you're younger and you're kind of discovering, you know, desire and, you know, all those kind of things. And you have someone that you feel those those things about and you're just terrified that they're not going to feel the same way. And there's this like torturous waiting period where you're thinking, oh, I've, 
have I said the right thing? Should I have said more? Are they going to say anything back? Yeah, so that's that's a really, um, again, that's they portray that feeling really well in that yeah. sequence of the film. Yeah, and, and those moments are truly significant in our lives. And, and the hope is that we can actually remember them because, you know, they do form like who we are. And, um, you know, s- sometimes your advances will be like um, turned down by the other person, sometimes not. But it's it's all part of that kind of adolescence um, growing up stage. And it's really cool to see that played out. And the, the director really allows these scenes to breathe. You know, there's a, there's a, a scene where um, Elio's kind of in Oliver's room and he he goes and he he, he um, goes onto his bed and he sniffs his shorts. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we say this and we laugh, but um, the way this scene is played out, I don't know if you notice, there's, a, there's a, a sound of a window opening and shutting, opening and shutting in the, in the background. Yeah, yeah. And it just, it's, it's kind of like the, um, the overused kettle sound, you know, when it's coming to the boil. It's yeah. it kind of it's it's kind of like a similar device to that, um, and and there's so many of these these scenes throughout the movie where the director doesn't force the issue, doesn't um, force something to happen. He just like lets it play out, and I, I think that's um, one of the reasons why it is a longer film. But it, it, for me, it doesn't feel that long a film. But um, anyway, so we have this scene with them and um, and with the, the night, and and it's interesting the. His his um, parents refer to the friendship that Elio and Oliver share as um, Freudenschaft, um, like, and they laugh, kind of acknowledging its ambiguity, which is is interesting, because like Elio uh, Elio's parents are quite progressive, aren't they? Yeah, and um, you, you can <laughs> you can tell they they know something is up. Certainly, when you rewatch the film and see the little things that they they say to Elio. They're very aware of of what's going on with him, which is 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 cool. And and also in that in that final scene with his father, he refers he's doesn't he say something like, "You had a wonderful friendship," and he says, "Maybe yeah, it was friendship, does. maybe it was more." And I think the, yeah that that kind of that very deliberate use of the word friendship, even though he's very aware that it is more than that, kind of comes back again back to that scene about you know what you said the the, the freudenschafter and the, the the novel that they're, they're reading so yeah there's that word friendship is is really is really deliberate and really key as well i think it is it is and it kind of comes down to this re- relationship that they do have it's interesting because we know that elio likes girls we, we know that because he obviously has this relationship with um the the french girl which incidentally, do you remember the scene where she arrives at his house and he's wearing um, Oliver's shirt, and she she says, "Ah, oh, I haven't seen you in three days," and he's like, "Ah, oh, yeah, I've I've been busy," and and again, it's one of these scenes where not much is said, but there's so much subtext between like um, the looks that they give each other, and eventually she says. In English, because obviously she's French, she normally speaks in French. In English, she says, "I'm, I'm not you, girl." And he says nothing, and it's it, it's really heartbreaking. Um, 
Yeah, I've, I really, I really feel for her during the film because obviously, yeah, they, she, she's kind of in, in it right in the opening shot, isn't it? You, isn't she? You see her, you see her and Elio together at the point, and they're both looking out the window when Oliver arrives at the family home, and yeah, they have this relationship that's kind of, you know, like an on and off relationship, friendship that kind of goes the way through the throughout the film, and obviously that scene, yeah, is, is um is when he's kind of Oliver's been gone for a little while, hasn't he? Because I think it, is it he says. Uh, Elio says to him, "That shirt you were wearing when you first arrived, can I have it when mm. you leave?" And obviously, he Oliver's disappeared for, for for a short period of time for for one reason or another, and he's left it on the ed, on the end of the bed with like a note, hasn't he? And obviously, Elio comes downstairs wearing it, obviously, you know, kind of floating on a cloud nine almost. And then I feel, yeah, is it what's is it Marcia or something like that? Something like I that, forget yeah. the French girl's name. It's really bad. Um, I've forgotten her name, but yeah, she kind of cycles up on her bike doesn't she and she instantly knows you can see because he's wearing the shirt and he's kind of skipping along looking really happy and bouncing around and then you can just see that she arrives and then her face just changes and it's and like you said she knows Uh, and I think it's a really it's a really it is quite a heartbreaking scene and I really feel for her during that during that moment it is but I think like their relationship is actually really important to um understanding Oliver and his relationship because you could look at Oliver and his relationship as being like sexual you could look at it being like a fling um but you know that with her that was the fling you know that was the um relationship that he didn't really care about you know he he had sex with her he he was like like to to um to quote her she says you're so hard you know (laughs) he was sexually into her but that was all all it was. Yeah, but and also there's this, there's before that happens. I think they, before they get to that stage, doesn't she say something about not wanting to be hurt? And he kind of says, "Oh, I wouldn't hurt you," sort of thing. But then that's exactly what he does, yeah, isn't yeah. it? But he doesn't care. He doesn't care about her in the same way that he deeply cares about his relationship with with Oliver. And um, mm. I think I think that's really important because it it is um, obviously a story between two men and there's a lot of things that kind of get um, thrown at at this kind of like story um, of it being sex, it being sexual. Yes, there is sex in it, but it's not about that. There is a deep kind of almost more than love um, story that's that's going on. And it's really interesting that the um, the term Freudenschaft um, that they use and, and this, this, this ongoing thing that they, they keep on doing, which is call me by your name and the the significance in that now obviously that there there's that scene and um, which would be probably good to play now call me by your name and i'll call you by mine Hello. So the, the film's title um, alludes to Oliver and Elio's loving pact to call each other by their own names, recognizing that, as a director put it in a Q&A, the other person makes you beautiful, enlightens you, elevates you. This idea ultimately stems from Aristotle's view on true friendship, but it echoes down to the intervening centuries in countless works of arts and literature, exploring the idea that the friend is another self both a means to self-discovery 
and an emboldening end in itself, which I think is a, a really good way of, of seeing it. Um, so when Oliver is, is saying to Elio, call me by your name, he's seeing the, the beauty within Elio as he's seeing in, in himself. It's really interesting. Yeah, so I, I think this idea of friendship, and you mentioned Aristotle there about his this idea of, um, of you know the perfect friendship. So this is something I'm sure I remember doing something about this at school or college or whatever it was. So I, I went back and read some stuff on this just to remind myself after you mentioned it the other day because I thought it was a really interesting point and really important. Uh, Aristotle talks about three types of friendship. Uh, friendships built on pleasure, utility and virtue. And he talks about the fact that friendships built on pleasure or utility or usefulness never last. They dissolve um, because they are born out of a need for something. And I think that's really key for what you said just now about how the fact that you pretend this story between Elio and Oliver could potentially be misinterpreted as um, lust or desire or like a a fling, like a short term thing. Um, Because uh, Aristotle said that friendships, um, also younger people, will often pursue friendships of pleasure because they're more driven by emotion. Um, and again, that that may be where the misinterpretation of what Elio's doing could be uh, could be found there. Older people will pursue friendships of utility because they were sort of there's, there's more of like a need for companionship. But actually, the the perfect friendship is built on virtue, and you have this idea that friends hope for good for each other. So. Our longest and strongest relationships are often with people who kind of broadly share the same worldview as us. Maybe we see a bit of ourselves in them. They see a bit of themselves in us. And I think this is where the significance of call me by your name comes in. So when Oliver says, you know, I'll call you your name and you call yourself my name, they're kind of like you said, they they each see these ideals in each other that they recognize. And obviously Elio sees Oliver as this perfect, you know, almost I think we'll come on to say later this representation of this the art and the statues that his father is as an expert in with the history and there's clearly Oliver values Elio's intellect and what he thinks because he says earlier you seem to know everything um so yeah and this idea that the this idea that the relationships that last are built on those that that same idea of virtue and the fact that you that you have the same views and you see something in each other and I think that's really again to come back to that deliberate use of the word friendship this that signifies that what they're doing is a is a signal that this is not just something that's a short term fling or based on desire. It's based on something much, much deeper than that. And I think that's, again, comes back to this really important use of the word friendship, this really important gesture of calling each other each other's names. So I think, yeah, I think it's a really it's a really intimate scene as well, because this is one of the things I think about Oliver is one of the things where. Again, to think to go back to the fact that Elio is quite young. Younger people might often idolise or you know, kind of um, become infatuated with someone older who they see as this kind of perfect being. And obviously, Oliver kind of swans into his life as this intellectual, you know, slightly older, statuesque, handsome figure. And but actually, and he comes across as potentially a bit brash or arrogant. But those scenes, and particularly that scene where he's, you know, when they're lying down together and he says, "Call me by," you know, call each other out each other's names it's really tender and really intimate and i think those scenes are really really well done so that scene is is so so powerful in uh, in in their story yeah it's really interesting isn't it because when when you first are introduced to to oliver there is that brushness about him i believe in the book his mother calls him like el cowboy um and or the movie star which 
you, you certainly get that feeling from him. He, he is like this um, this figure that's almost not real. I mean, he is a movie star, so it, it works quite well. And also there's that, you know, there's that scene earlier on when he first arrives where Elio says, don't you find him a bit arrogant about the way he just says later? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And, so, and they, they kind of do present him in that way. And, and I think it's that's almost like a little running joke through the film where later on he's about to leave and his mother says, later. Yeah, yeah. But as as the film goes on, you do see these like um, these moments with between him and Elio, and it's almost like he's able to put down this facade of cool and um, be this like softer version of himself. This relationship is based on mutual admiration and seeing each other's virtues. I, I like the scene at the end where he's speaking to his father, and he's and he kind of breaks down and he says to his father he was better than me. And his father says, I'm sure he would say that about you, which flatters you both. I, I don't know. I, I really love seeing this in a couple, in in just anyone. Like, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship necessarily. But when other people, like, lift each other up, because we, we do so much of that, like, bringing other people down. And I think part of it is this bravado and, um, you know, being cool, you know, it's 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 easier to um, like put someone down and get the the quick laugh, as it is to actually um, like support someone and um, build them up. Um, so, yeah, when when you do do you see this, these guys kind of looking at each other, they are seeing each other, and I, I think that's 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 a really beautiful thing. Yeah, I think you're you're so right. You're absolutely bang on the money there. That that idea of you know seeing the other person as better than yourself. Um, yeah, the almost. And then having this idea that there's a good chance that that person is feeling the same about you. So you almost aspire to be as good as one another. And actually, that means both of you strive to be better. Uh, I think it's I think it's great. And I think, again, that's that's such a that's such a um, a well put encapsulation of that feeling, isn't it? Like you do, you know, just to put it in very simple words, he was better than me. Oh, I'm sure he'd say the same about you. How simple is that? But how difficult is that to, to articulate yourself and to hear it? And you think, ah, it's, it's so simple, but it's so, so true. I think, again, just an example of some of the great writing in the film and 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 some of the wonderful scenes between him and his father as well. I think his father's a, a great character. I love I love all the scenes he's in. He yeah. just, he, he, you're just drawn to him because he's got such like this warmth about him hasn't he he does he does he, he he really brightens up the room and it's strange to say because he's um one of the like the smallest characters his voice isn't loud he doesn't have like a great a real great presence but just being around him his intellect um his nuance like the the, the ending scene which we will get 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 to the nuance of everything he says is just absolutely perfect one one note about the um the call me by your name thing when the screenplay was originally written it was written with a narration to it and right. one of the last scenes i think um is really really good it really like encapsulates this whole um idea of call me by your name and this kind of um bond that becomes two characters merging into one i'll read it out it's a little bit long and i'm sorry about this but hopefully you'll get a little bit out of it so the narrator says they had become each other that summer and long after every forked road in life had done its work this would always be true their lives scarcely touched in those weeks together but they had crossed into the other side 
where time stops and heaven reaches down to earth and gives us that ration of what is from birth divinely ours. They could look the other way and speak of everything, but they would have to always know. They had found that the stars, Elio and Oliver, and this is given only once. And like that that's a, a perfect um kind of summation. We we don't get that though, because we don't have the narration. Um so a lot of these um scenes and a lot lot that is spoken is unspoken in this film. Um I was just gonna say on that point very quickly. Um I th- I think that is a really great bit of narration, but I also don't think you need it necessarily, because I still think I think you get that with some of the dialogue. Um, particularly the phone call between Elio and Oliver. And the last thing Oliver says is, I remember everything. Ah, it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, what a moment. And I think that really effectively sums up everything that was said in that narration. Mm -hmm. And again, I think not using the narration is just gives the audience the respect to say you get this right you 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 know what for what you've seen what we've shown you what the characters have shown you you do get that feeling so i think it's a lovely bit of writing and it's a nice bit it would have it would have been a great little bit of delivery i'm sure but i don't think you necessarily need it because i still get that from what happens and how they talk to each other uh, and i that said that line i remember everything it's so good such a such a great moment okay we should play it we should They know about us. I figured. How? Well, the way your dad spoke to me. She made me feel like I was a part of the family. Almost like a son-in-law. You're so lucky. My father would have carted me off to a correctional facility. Elio. Yeah, which brings us on to the significance of the statues. Um, and we were talking about this um, and trying to f- figure out what they were. And, and you had some really good ideas about this, Nick. Well, yeah, I thought, um, you know, at the start of the film, the opening, the opening sort of sequence where you've got the opening credits and whatnot. Obviously, there's a lot. There's like a montage of different artworks and sculptures and stuff. And obviously, we know that his father is a historian who, who kind of, uh, I suppose, specializes in these kind of things. And I just wonder, because Elio is this kind of intelligent, young musical prodigy who seems kind of into literature and art and all that kind of stuff, I just sort of thought that um, Army Hammer as a as a person, and so therefore Oliver as a character, I think maybe there's something about him that's quite statuesque, you know, that, that often the camera is looking up at him. He, he He's a very big, you know, he's, he's a very tall, big man in real life. Six or five? Well, he's really tall then. But, you know, so the camera's often looking up at him. There's obviously, there's, because we're in, because we're in the, in the Italian summer, the sun's out a lot of the time. He's kind of shown with the sun behind him, the camera looking up at him, like kind of statuesque. And I just feel like that, you know, there is something about him, I think, that maybe Elio is drawn to because he sees him as this almost like the human representation of those works of art, this perfect, the idea of the perfect 
being almost because you know there's various sculptures and stuff that are supposed to represent the perfect man or the perfect human and i just think there's something about his physical stature that elio is drawn to as well and on the same on the flip side of that obviously elio is much smaller much sort of he's very slender but i think again because oliver is studying for a phd he's really drawn to the fact he thinks he's really intelligent because like i said earlier he says you seem to know everything or is there anything you don't know so i think yeah there's something about the whole idea of sculptures and statues and stuff that there's something very statuesque and very um you know still very masculine about oliver as a character and i think sometimes that is probably feeds into part of the fact that elio is drawn to him as well yeah it's it's interesting that you mentioned about obviously oliver's character being the statue and i i agree with you if if you were to because generally the greeks would model their statues on on gods right and he has obviously quite a godlike physique um but equally if you look at the the look of the the statues i believe having quite a feminine face back in the days of the greeks was um, seen as quite virtuous and um and people wanted that and you, you see in these statues the the jawline and um the the voluptuous lips and the curly hair it's it's almost more like elio and even i don't know if you notice this but elio kind of strikes poses similar to statues when he's dancing and i don't know if that's like on purpose or not but it just um kind of um came to me so we've we've got the body of of um oliver but it seems like the face of elio again like a fusing of these two characters yeah exactly it's kind of yeah it brings them both together into this one this one being sort of thing and again that's the idea of that you know you see with that the idea of that the perfect friendship you see virtue in one another and yeah i think you're right i think there is very the the faces of the statues are very much closer to elio's appearance but yeah the statuesque figure of them the physique of them is much more like oliver so yeah there's this kind of you know this intertwining of the the two of them together in this kind of physical representation of them Uh, i think it's yeah i think it's uh it's a really nice little extra thing that's just in there um so thought it'd be good to talk about peaches we got to talk about peaches and uh yeah, the sound the sound guys, they love a peach, don't they? <laughs> God. Can you imagine them um, filming the the sequence? Well, imagine being the Foley guys trying to um, yeah. put put sound to that sequence. <laughs> it's quite it's quite overbearing, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's it's a challenge. What sounds like a a penis going inside a into a peach? Um that oh, was that was for them to figure out. <laughs> incidentally, the um the the di- director he's he's great because he's Italian so he's like you know really I needed to check if this would work so you know I tried <laughs> and it is possible <laughs> so great he, great use of the Italian the Italian inverted commas Italian accent there probably okay. shouldn't have done that <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like in in order to make sure that um. That I knew that this this would work. Um, I can confirm that it, it does, in fact, um, work. Go in the extra mile for the podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see the awkward um, fa- face that um, Nick is giving me right now. Um, yeah. Little fact about peaches. I just because I, I know you like your facts. I, I'll throw this at you. And um, this has nothing to do with the film, I'm sure, but. 
In Chinese mythology, peaches are a symbol of longevity and immortality, frequently featured in Chinese art and fables. One such fable tells of an emperor who fell in love with a male courtesan and kept their love affair a secret from his kingdom. One day, the courtesan picked up a particularly sweet peach and, after one bite, gave the rest to the emperor. The emperor was so enamoured by the gesture that he publicly declared his love for him. Ever since, the love between two men has been referred to as the sharing of the peach. Well, there you go. I See, I didn't know that. But then again, the peach makes sense now, doesn't it? Always trying to share peaches with you, Nick. Always trying to share peaches. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so we'll move on from that. I mean, the, the, the scene with the, the, the peach, I don't think it's, it's terribly significant. It's one of the, the most um, famous scenes from the, the, the film. Um, do you have any thoughts about it other than No, I just, just um, it, it kind of um, it made me chuckle a bit because when I was, um, so as you know, I use Letterboxd. So mm. to like keep a diary of the films I watch and stuff. And just uh, kind of whenever I log a film, I put, I put put my little rating in and I kind of write my little review, whatever. And I often will go and just look through other people's reviews of um, of what the film is just to see how, just to see if people felt similar to what I did or felt quite differently. And it's just like, it just made me laugh that so many reviews mentioned the peach and specifically the sounds of the peach. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it's a, yeah, it, it's a, it's a famous scene. Um, and a lot of people noticed it. So yeah, nothing more to add, really. Nothing more to add. I, I think there's something to add about, um, well, not even to add, but um, just to support the fact that of Oliver's um, character, because you you have that scene, obviously, when he comes in, he notices the peach and he he tries to eat it, and Elio is so embarrassed and um, he's so broken up by probably all that is going on. Again, it's just like proof that to to Elio certainly this this is more than just a fling it's more than just sex and um kind of young lust and, and oliver's response to him where he, he kind of like holds him in this like really tender moment it's um it's really nice so apparently the the mother so often it is the case producers and studios like to get involved in the um uh, making of these films and they wanted to push the director into making the mother the antagonist. So basically make her not want this romance between um, Elio and Oliver, maybe find out and um, kind of fight against it. And um, <laughs> the, the, the director was asked asked to make the um, the mother mean. It's interesting because obviously this is a scene between two men, so it's um, LGBTQ. LGBTQ plus, I think, is the full term. Okay, there. thank you. I think. Um, and he, the, the director, was actually asked in a question and answer session whether it was he was he was trying to create something that that kind of gave hope or um, kind of um, appealed to to the, that, that community, and. He he actually said no. He sees it as more of a universal story and a, a universal message. He he said he actually um, referred to um, some of the issues within minority communities within America, which I thought was interesting. And he he said you have to learn to love the alien. 
as David Bowie sings in the song. He says that this message in the film asks to build bridges, don't build walls. And first of all, from my point of view, um, it, as as much as it's two guys, I didn't feel like it was um, so on the nose to, to be kind of telling that story. I felt like it was a universal story. I, I felt like if this happened to, between um, two women, two men, a, a boy and a girl, um, you, you could arguably tell the same story because it, it is a story about love. I think this um, really tells the LGBT story really well because it should be universal. It, sh- it, should, it shouldn't be a case of like, oh, they are gay and that means blah, blah, blah. It should just be a case of two people, two people who are in love, who um, found something really special. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, and I think that's a really important stance the director took about not having an, like a, a mean antagonist in there because that would make it an LGBT story specifically. And like you said, it shouldn't matter whether, the, whether this is two men two women, a man and a woman, whoever it might be, if you put that obstruction to the relationship there, there's so many what you might sort of like call gay or bisexual stories that have, it's about like overcoming this obstacle or overcoming these this prejudice to be able to have that relationship. And I just don't think you need that here because this is, like you said, this is a universal love story. If this was a story between, if, the, if, if let's say, let's say Oliver was a female character you wouldn't have that objection to the relationship, would you? Because you tend not to see that in in heterosexual relationships. So why should it be there here? And I think that's a really important stance the director took and I, and I think is the right stance to take because like you said, this shouldn't matter whether it's a gay story, a straight story, a bisexual story. The fact is this is a story about two people in love. And I think having that relatable to anyone makes the story that much more powerful. I think his parents really symbolize an open-minded world, albeit this world probably doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. But um, seeing these two individuals, I I think, gives us all something to look up to and um, try to be more like. Because I I don't know about you, but as as a male, certainly looking at the the father played by Michael um, Stolberg, Stolberg, yeah, made me think. Wow, I, if I could be half the father he he was, I'd I'd be so proud of myself. Oh yeah, he he is he's an incredible character, and he plays it so well as well. And I think, like we said earlier, I think all the scenes he's in, he has this great warmth and tenderness to, to you know to all people, but specifically towards Elio, his son. I think it's, I think he's a great character, and I th- I agree with you. I think he he is such a he's he is like an ideal to strive to be like we should all be more like him that be that be that accepting that loving all the time 100 percent. which which kind of brings us um to that scene that we were speaking about before the 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 monologue i guess with the the father elio comes into his his office after oliver has left and i guess he's he's um seeking out comfort I don't think he's looking for advice. He's um, just looking for maybe someone just to put his hands around his shoulders, um, which I guess um, speaks to their relationship. It's not always the case that you'd go to your parents when something bad happens like this. And there's a five-minute sequence, and there's no way we can play it all, but let's just play 
a little part of it and um, we'll talk about what that kind of means. Look, you had a beautiful friendship. Maybe more than a friendship. And I envy you. My place, most parents would hope the whole thing goes away. Pray their sons land on their feet, but I am not such a parent. We rip out so much of ourselves to be cured of things faster that we go bankrupt by the age of 30 and have less to offer each time we start with someone new. But to make yourself feel nothing so as not to feel anything, what a waste. Yeah, so that little clip we just heard, well, that that's it, isn't it? That is that's the lesson that is the that's the whole um center of this discussion we've just had in this conversation we're done nick we can go home (laughs) mic drop well michael stolberg (laughs) mic drop and out out he walks but yeah this that whole thing is that it's the center of everything that we've just talked about and it's the center of why this film is so powerful and i think you know that the way that that is delivered is incredible it's just like a it's just like a knockout blow it's just like i think i said earlier I was really enjoying the film as I was going through and I wasn't, you know, I was I was into the story and stuff. But that last sort of like 10, 15 minutes with that scene with his father and stuff, wow, that really lifted it to another level. And that that little scene with his father is so, so powerful. And it's it, I generally kind of just sat quietly just thinking about it for a while afterwards. And obviously that line, to make yourself feel nothing so as not to feel anything, what a waste. That is, well, it's the key to everything, isn't it? It's the key to this whole conversation we've had. And it's so well put it is and i think um there's a worrying thing that kind of goes around like like for example you know someone breaks up with with someone 10 ways to get over your ex you know how to um move on and yeah obviously like moving on to the next thing is um important It's, it's an important part of life but to be pushing something away that was significant like he he kind of mentions it himself, like the the fact that he did he didn't believe that he ever really had anything that closely resembled what Oliver and Elio had, and I guess like that's the thing. Like imagine going through that you you've you've gone through that 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 summer you've spent that time with someone who's really really significant in your life. You'll always remember and and imagine like a um, couple of parents who were trying to push that away or, or or just ignore it or not talk to Elio about it because they don't want to bring up those feelings. It's amazing that his father he he was brave enough and vulnerable enough to to open up to his son in order to to help him through that time. It wasn't forceful. His advice wasn't condescending. It had the right weight to it. And it really lands as a scene, but I think if he was my father and he he was speaking to me in that way, it would really land as um, a loving piece of advice that I I think I would always remember. Yeah, and I think I think it it is something that you know because I'm sure we've all we've all been through whether it be relationships or whatever you've been through in your life, something bad has happened, and obviously if you you know. So maybe something something good has happened, like a relationship, but it ends. 
and you want to try and put it to the back of your mind so you don't feel the sadness that you feel and the loss that you feel because it's not there anymore. But I think, yeah, we should all take the advice that you should allow yourself to feel something. And this this might be a film that we come to talk about some episode in the future in, in, in different contexts. But there's a scene in Wind River. There's obviously Wind River is about uh, largely about dealing with loss of a, a child. And the main and Jeremy Renner's character talks to uh, he's he's he loses his child. You don't see it before the film starts. He he talks about the fact that he lost his child, and he says to this other guy, "People say, does it get better? And no, it doesn't. But you've got to allow yourself to feel the pain because otherwise, you'll rob yourself of all the joy that she brought you. And it's the same thing here. You know that we have to allow ourselves to feel the sadness because if you can kind of feel that and accept it, you can then also allow yourself to feel. And remember the joy that you felt. And I think it is, it is a it's a great piece of like life advice for anyone, isn't it? Really. And I think that this scene is is so superbly delivered. And I think you're right. I think you know you look at Michael Stolberg and his performance as as Mr. Perlman, and you think that's what everyone would want their father to be like in that situation. And it, it's, yeah, it's, it's it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. I think as well, like um, if you think about him being a father, he would produce a son like that, someone who's really connected to himself and his and, and his feelings I, I think that that advice it, it needs to be said and I, I i hate to do this because i, I don't like to, to separate the two sexes but clearly males have an issue with this i think more than than females do in that something happens to us and we just put it to the side and we move on and that's just how we are as males but as you say, like something as significant as like losing a child, is is that the right way to go about things? I know in the film, and Manchester by the Sea. I don't know if you've seen Manchester by the Sea. I haven't, but it's a I similar. It's thing. on my watch list. I will get to it. Yeah, death of a child, and it's a man's kind of process trying to get over that, and he and he never does. You, yeah, you you're right. You've got to go through it. You've got to accept it. It's like those. Um, was it f- four stages or five stages of of loss that we were speaking in in the her episode? But but in this particular case, it's it's really important for Elio to obviously like feel the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and a- according to uh, psychologists, that's what we should be doing. Uh, they've got this term what they they call nostalgic reverie, and um, the research suggests that when they've done tests with people, um, looking at their exes across like multiple studies is that if if people are able to do that then it gives them greater sense of of happiness within their daily lives it makes them um, more accepting of, of what happens in that relationship and also gives them greater satisfaction in their current relationships i guess from a personal point of view like i've been through this before of um going through a relationship where I loved a girl. I remember we were sitting in a cafe, we'd broken up. We, we knew we were going to be breaking up and we were kind of like together. Um, maybe it was like the last week. Um, and she said to me, this is really sucks. It's really hard, it really hurts. And I said like, you're right, it really, really hurts. But thank God it hurts. Because if it didn't hurt, then it wouldn't be significant. And I think that's kind of like the crux of, of the film, isn't it? It does hurt Elio so much because it was significant. It wasn't a, a fling. It wasn't about sex. It was something that's significant and will always be significant to him. And if he blocks it out, 
what what a, a waste that would be, just as his father would say. And I think I think you see that um, portrayed really really well in the in the, the closing shot of the film, which obviously you know we got we've got to now um, that 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 single long take just on Elio's face where he's staring into the fire, and I think you know before that obviously the you know the the very end of the film when you see that the Oliver is gone and you can see his sadness and you can see his body language change his face changes he looks deeply sad and hurt but then when he's sitting in front of the fire he goes through that sadness you know you have the tears in his eyes but then there is a moment where he smiles and I think you can tell like I said you've got that the glow of the fire on his face and he's reliving his memories and stuff but there's you can tell almost he's he's taken that advice by this point because he has accepted the pain and the hurt and the loss and he's working through it and what that allows him to do is just have those moments where he remembers the joy you know like go back to what Oliver says I remember everything and he just has the, there's a very subtle little smile on his face and I have to say like Timothy Chalamet is is unbelievable. It's a remarkable performance from him throughout the whole film. But that final scene is unbelievably good from from someone so young as well. Incredible performance. It really is. Yeah, he he got the nomination for the Oscar as well, which um, maybe he didn't win because of his age, um, which is a, obviously a disappointment. I believe that Gary Oldman won it for the, the Darkest Hour. But if he wins an, an Oscar in the future, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Not at all, yeah. I mean, what, like you said before, like hugely talented young man and what what an incredible closing shot for the film. And I have to say, like, you know, I, I mean, it, is, it is the the shot of the film, isn't it? You know, the little conversation with his with his father is the the heart and soul of what it's trying to say. But that that, shot, that final shot of the film is just, it's, it's amazing. And it really, it really is, it, it just sums up everything that he's kind of as a character he's learned through this process and through this journey he's gone on what a great final shot and what a great finale to the to a really good film a really really good film so um the good thing is apparently the director is keen to do more of these films he's, he was talking and he was saying um, maybe interesting to see where elio and um oliver that their story kind of intertwines throughout their lives so it'd be interesting to see if there is um sequels to to the, this film maybe that will destroy it <laughs> <laughs> but um no it, it, i think their story is really interesting and they're they're really cool characters yeah watch this space i guess and what yeah watch this space and, and i think it was um like i said earlier i i, I would i wanted to watch this film anyway because i was aware that it was good and it was really well received but it's just something i hadn't quite got round to for whatever reason so i'm really glad i've watched it now and i've i, I kind of having spoken about it for not far off an hour and a half now. Um, I probably want to go back and watch it again. So yeah, really, really great film. But obviously, we have lots more films to discuss, which is a good segue into our into what we're going to be doing next week. So I can't. I think this was one we kind of chose between us, wasn't it? So why don't you let everyone know what we're going to be talking about next time? So the film's going to be American History X and how it reminds us of the consequences of living in an echo chamber. So I think it's going to be a great one. I remember watching American History X, I think back when I was like maybe 16. And I I remember just being like my, my jaw was on the floor. I, I couldn't believe that films existed like this. It is so good, isn't it? I, I remember, yeah, I've, I've, wa- I've seen, I've watched this quite a lot. I think I've, it's one of those that I've, you know, I had it on VHS years ago. I've, I've still, I, I love it. It's such a good film. So, so powerful. And it's, I, I'm looking forward to 
talking about it. I mean, I could probably talk about it now without having watched it again because I know it so well, but I'm really looking forward to going back and watching this and talking about it. Yeah, that'll be a good one. I agree with Great you. choice. Um, well done us. Great choice. <laughs> <laughs> Teamwork, working together. So um, I guess that brings us um, to the end of the episode and just a shout out to kind of say thank you for, for listening and um, plea for you to um, please review us um, and score us well on on itunes or wherever you listen to your your podcasts yeah also subscribe as well for more episodes obviously we've got the social medias up and running as well so you can follow us on instagram twitter and facebook and all that stuff and again big thank you for both of us to anyone that's listened liked shared all that kind of stuff and yeah we will we'll see you next time yeah looking forward to it nick bye-bye bye-bye